As we consider what Jesus taught about material wealth in view of the kingdom of God, all kinds of difficult questions may come to mind in order possibly to justify our own material circumstances. And we might become anxious by what the preacher makes of this passage even before we begin. And the Lord says, don't be anxious. Our Lord didn't come to place heavy burdens on us, did he? He came to remove uh, the burdens that exhaust us and wear us out. Jesus does not deal in the specifics as to what is an acceptable uh, lifestyle for a child of God. What he deals with is our heart. What he points to is eternal treasures. What he came to release us from was the crushing anxiety that comes from trusting in our wisdom and cleverness to provide for our own needs rather than trusting in the Father. And I can speak from experience. I've known that crushing anxiety. I've also known times in my life of great freedom and of wonderful provision. But in the times when I've thought I could do better in organising my own security, I've known great painful grief and a total lack of peace in my heart and mind. So our Lord speaks to us where our hearts are this morning. He speaks to our worries and our short-sightedness and our failure to believe in the faithful care of our Heavenly Father. And where there's been failure to obey his words, then there is abundant grace and forgiveness and the promise that he can teach us new ways to trust and serve him. We need not fear what he may take from us. He has far more to give to us than we could imagine. We may have already been in a place uh, we may have a way of applying this teaching because we've all read it before in a way that insulates us from any need to change how we presently live. And that would be sad. I suggest that instead we ask the Spirit to speak freshly to our hearts, that he might guard us from misreading what Jesus is saying, with the result that we put it in the too hard basket, or so spiritualise the passage that we do not allow his word to show us where our hearts really are. Instead, may the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth that brings us into all truth, cause Christ's word to dwell in us richly and to shape who we are and how we live. <clears throat> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up your treasures where? In heaven. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So it's, there's no question Christ commands us to wholehearted devotion to God. And, and he's saying nothing less than the, than the whole call of the Scriptures. The Old Testament was all about God's longing, his jealous desire for his wholehearted uh, worship from his people Israel. Single-minded. So he wants to talk about money. Or mammon. <clears throat> it could be money or material things. It could be the soccer ball. For, for me, when I was young, it was the basketball ball. And we used to call it, that was our God. Crazy, isn't it? God? God? Or something like that. And I bet Yoshi who still enjoys his soccer, don't you? Yeah, but it's no longer his God. He talks about money, mammon, and worry. So these things are very relevant, aren't they? He says, do not lay up treasures. That's, I think that's a very important word to think about. Um, God's gifts are good. The gifts of creation are good. And there's much that we could treasure, but treasure in a way that is meant for God in our hearts. So that's the, the question, is, is have we, are we laying up treasures, precious, precious, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is talking about hoarding wealth for ourselves on earth, making the accumulation of wealth or things the focus of our lives. And my brother Peter, so he talks about this fellow, he was working in the garden and, and this guy had a lot of stuff. And he, and he just said to Peter, we need a lot of stuff as a buffer for life. And he wasn't joking. He was serious. Isn't that funny? It may be that we laugh because while we don't verbalise such a thought, that can be an unconscious belief, a lie that sits there deep within us. Now, storing up treasure is particularly the temptation of the rich because they've got the money to, to buy all the stuff. And, uh, but the reality is it can also be the obsession of, for those who have little. How much do we really need? Laying up treasure, piling up and hoarding wealth for yourself. The inordinate accumulation of stuff in order to secure our future or to show off our idol, idols. Jesus made it very clear in this passage there are two very different kinds of treasures. There are earthly treasures and there are heavenly treasures. Earthly treasures, they're uncertain. They're vulnerable to being lost. Heavenly treasures, guaranteed. Good investment. I've got a neighbour who's... Uh, I do a lot of work at his house. 
help him out. He's elderly. Um, but we've had a constant problem in our little area. In, in a number of houses, fences falling over, sheds falling over some years ago across the road, and our cubby house eaten out by white ants. And one day I went for a walk and I found a white ant nest. It was this high in his front yard and he never saw it. And it's probably been there for 20 years. And I dug it out for him and I found the queen, the villain. She could have had 20 million children over her long life, destroying everything around us. He didn't see it. And then I've been doing some work on his house since I destroyed the nest and I've discovered a lot of damage to his house. He didn't know. Well, that's white ants, rust, moths. My youngest son's wedding jacket has been eaten up by moths. Still happens. Why throw away the mothballs? They're helpful. <laughs> How's your savings going? Inflation erodes the value of our savings. It's amazing. We don't realise how much. It, it decreases the purchasing power of the dollar because of increased prices. What about thieves breaking in? They don't have to break in. More than $3.1 billion, $3 billion was lost through scamming in Australia last year. Can you see how uncertain our earthly treasures are? There are many ways I've lost, I've lost through foolish investment. Money that I earn through hard work at times, just gone, throw it away. Grown on wings, flown away. Can you see? And it's a wonderful thing. God puts us through trials. Why? There's a great hymn that tells us about those who longed that we might grow in faith and love and every grace, that we might seek more earnestly his face. And what happens? He puts us, he lets our sins arise in our hearts. He makes us feel the hidden evils of our heart. He lets the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Why is this, Lord? Well, this is how I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials, even our failures, I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst seek thy all in me. Yeah, God will even use uh, these temptations to, to show us how much we need him and to show us the emptiness and the futility of chasing after this world. Now, we may be able to protect our treasures from losing value or being stolen, but the fact is we ourselves are corrupting. <laughs> we are slowly breaking down and wearing out, and either our treasures are taken from us or we are taken from our treasures. Either way, we lose. Can you see it? Because they're not guaranteed. We are not guaranteed, not this present existence. What are our treasures? Oh, just to remind ourselves, let's see what the alternative is. Listen to 1 Peter. Chapter 
Remember, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Fullness of joy, you bet. What are our treasures? Our treasures are what one values above all else. And uh, we can have different ones, but they're all right up there, uh, high in our hearts. And where we store our treasures reveals where our hearts really are. So if our treasures are stored on earth, that's where our heart is. It's clear. And if our treasure is in heaven, treasures, if our treasures are in heaven, that's where our heart is. There's another wonderful passage that speaks of these treasures, and it's from 1 Timothy. Uh, Firstly, early in the chapter of chapter 6, Paul talks about false teachers who thought that, that godliness could be a means of great gain. And there are many in who claim to be serving Christ who are in there for the money, for the dollar. And uh, that's, that's just the reality. It was back then, it is now. But Paul says that... Um, that it's godliness with contentment that's great gain. You want gain, it'll be that kind of gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But he goes on to say, as for the rich in this present age... Verse 17, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's not a killjoy. All the gifts of creation are for us to enjoy, but not to make God in our hearts. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. This is instead of putting their hopes in riches, instead of God, instead of doing that, give themselves not to the goal of being rich, but to doing good and to being rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. You want treasures for yourself? I do. Well, store it up in the right place by doing these things so that you may take hold of life that is of that, sorry, 
so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. So, these treasures that Paul's talking about have guaranteed returns, unaffected by any global financial crisis. Isn't that great? And in some sense... In a sense that we don't presently grasp, we can enrich our experience of eternal life, both now and forever, by focusing on what we can do for others rather than selfishly pursuing our own gain. So the good life the world promises is actually a lie. The life abundant that Jesus promised is truly life. And ultimately, our hearts only have capacity for one all-embracing devotion. I'll say it again. Ultimately, our hearts only have capacity for one all-embracing devotion. Whatever competes for and takes over the place that only God can fill will end up being a cruel master. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, He wrote, where our treasure is, there is our trust, our security, our consolation, and our God. Hoarding is idolatry. And he went on to say, if we ask how we are to know where our hearts are, the answer is just as simple. Everything which hinders us from loving God above all things and acts as a barrier between ourselves and our obedience to Jesus is our treasure and the place where our heart is. So I've said it's not only the rich who need to guard their hearts. Sometimes those of us who have little can find ourselves entrapped by the desire to have more of what others have, which is covetousness, which is idolatry. So we're told to guard our hearts. Whatever we consider our highest good, our greatest blessing, that is where our hearts will drop our anchor. That's just it. It's automatic. Whatever you consider is the real source of joy and blessing and fullness, that's where your heart will drop its anchor. It can't be otherwise. That will be the default position of the human heart. That's where our heart, our minds will automatically head when left alone with their own thoughts and desires. So that's the test, isn't it? He speaks about, um, that's why Paul said, uh, you know, let your mind be upon the things of heaven, not on earthly things, because that's where your glory is. That's where Christ is. That's where all the promise of God is for you and for those you love and for this creation. That's where we're heading. Nothing should take the place of that. He speaks of having an eye that's not working well, if you like, an evil eye. A healthy eye brings light to the whole body, so it acts as a lamp to the body. The eye is like a lamp. Because without the eye receiving light, we're talking physically, we can't see clearly where we're walking. Our hands need the light. 
You know, it, otherwise, we, our hands can't serve our body properly without light. And light comes through good eyesight. If our eyesight is fully impaired, then that brings darkness, in a sense, to the whole body. It's a strange way of speaking, but that's the Lord's simile he uses. So we forget how important our eyes are to benefit the whole body. But Jesus is not talking about physical eyes. He's talking about our spiritual sight. And if that is blinded by the dazzle of this world, it will not be able to see the glory of what is to come. If our heart is devoted to the mirage of this world, to the creation instead of the creator, then we will stumble in the darkness. When our heart is divided in devotion, it cannot give clear vision. You see, we may, have, we may think we have the light of God, but in fact we may be full of darkness, a darkness that we're actually unaware of. Listen to, listen to what the Lord said to, to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove. You see, Christ's loving rebuke to a church that was rich in earthly things, but poor in eternal things. Claiming to see, they were actually blind. And if then the light is in you is darkness, when you think it's light, how great is that darkness? When someone thinks they have the light and they don't, then they're self-deceived. I need to say, money and material things are not forbidden by Christ. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. With money we buy food and houses and cars and we pay our bills. And so we should. It's our obsession with these things that he is against because he loves us and he knows how easily we can become enslaved. Only when he has our hearts are we really free to enjoy what we have. And when, only when we're free to lose what we have for something far more precious and permanent can we live in this world generously. And without fear, you can't serve two masters. You can't ride two horses at the same time unless you're in the circus and they have to be going the same way. But it doesn't work that way with money and God. If, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Give me an undivided heart, that was the cry of the psalmist, that I might fear thy name. 
God will not share our heart with another. You've got two masters. You either choose Christ, God, or mammon, money, material things. One's a wonderful master. And, and slavery to him is liberty. The other is a cruel master. And slavery is utter bondage. It, it was impossible for a slave to serve two masters in, in that day. Slavery, that was their part of normal life. A slave was to be wholeheartedly devoted in serving his master. You could never have two masters. It's the same today. We don't have slavery in that sense. We have slavery in the world, we know. But we're called to be slaves of God, servants of Christ, and not to let money or things rule over us. If money or possessions, he says, if you, you'll end out loving one and hating the other. That's very powerful words, isn't it? If money or possessions is the focus of our lives, then serving God will be something that we actually inwardly, quietly resent. God will be an intrusion on our plans. We will not have the time or energy or inclination for the things of God. Our affections will be elsewhere. Thomas Chalmers, the Puritan, wrote, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. And that new affection will only have expulsive power. Move out, I'm coming in. I'm coming to bring you true freedom. That new affection for God will only have that expulsive power when it's when its object, Christ, is seen to be far more precious and enduring than the one that had previously gripped our hearts. He goes on to say, don't be anxious, and we haven't only got a few minutes, but he says, don't be anxious about life, what you'll eat, what you drink, nor about your body. We don't worry too much about that. If you do have trouble, you can go to Ikea, get... Uh, no, Aldi. You go to Aldi for cheap food and uh, Kmart for cheap clothing, like this one. Um, there will be people under mortgage stress, high rents, who are struggling probably. But in much of the world, these things, basic things that we take for granted, Jesus is speaking to a group of people for whom they weren't sure of where the next meal was coming. And you say they had a right to be anxious. And he says, don't be anxious. Why? Is not life more than food and the body? Isn't there something? Is the kingdom of God even more precious than the things that keep our body alive? Food and drink and keep us warm. Clothing. Yes, the kingdom of God is far more precious. Worth dying for, actually. We need to see how good it is. What would he say to us? There's more to life than the latest mobile or television or computer game or whatever. What is it that we'll just hang out for no matter what and get worry about until we get it? 
He reminds us of the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather. He's not saying don't go to work. Elsewhere in the scriptures, quite clear, if you don't work, you don't eat. We should work, have something for ourselves and something to share with others. It's not about being like birds who don't work. Actually, birds do fly and flutter to catch their food or find it. But what they don't do is worry. Because the Father feeds them. He cares for them like he cares for the lizard of the field. But aren't we too creatures whom our Creator Father cares for? Jesus could look out on the creation and see his Father, his goodness in providing abundantly for all creatures. And yet there's this little human creature worrying and stressing, trying to look after himself. When everything we have is gift, whether we believe in him or not. Can you see that? So he says, don't be anxious. He's not telling us to do nothing and just trust the Father. He's not telling us that. What he's confronting is our tendency to stress out over how to make ends meet and how we can afford the next toy. As though there's no Father who is watching over us and caring for our needs. There's a big difference between stressing over work and working with an attitude of grateful trust in the Father who knows what we need. And in the end, worry is futile. It, is, it doesn't achieve a thing. Who by worrying can add to the height of your head? It can't be done. Uh, worry is a pointless exercise. Um, He's not saying that we don't have to think about these things, give thought to them. Again, he's addressing this obsessive anxiety that, that causes all sorts of trouble in our hearts and in our relationships that never brings rest, that takes away our peace. He says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? How am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to afford to retire? How am I going to buy a house? Our words express our fear. That's what the world runs after. We're to run after God and his kingdom and his righteousness, not my self-righteousness. Talked about that early in the Sermon on the Mount. About God's righteousness, which he gives, which justifies us and which shows us how to live in this world in a way that reflects his goodness and truth. And so the first priority every day is to be for his kingdom and for this righteousness. And then everything else is added. They're all accessories that God has promised because he's a faithful creator. You won't have to you prioritise the claims of God's kingdom. You won't have to worry about anything else. God will look after the other needs as he sits fit. I'm not saying not think about the other things. No, he's saying not worry about them. And what is the necessity of life? Without the kingdom, where are we? Where is this world? For all its stuff, it'll have nothing and life becomes futile. He doesn't mean that there won't be times of want of struggle. He doesn't mean that. Paul clearly 
in his life had times of hunger and trials and where things didn't happen automatically. Um, The promise was not that um, God will be there every moment just when you need him. Sometimes it's the 11th hour at the point where we're thinking, Father, are you there? Do you care? But I'm trusting you no matter what. And then we see God's hand work and provide and our faith is strengthened. We, I was finished at a church years ago and it was a difficult parting and it was a very quick parting and we had no money and I had wisdom teeth removed and we had no income for just a short period. We had money in the bank but that was for a house deposit. But I was tempted to worry and, I'm, and you know when you've got a pain in your mouth and your head I was feeling pretty blue and heard a knock on the door and Margaret went to the door. A few minutes later, she comes to see me. Someone just gave us, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars it was. They'd sold a caravan, someone we didn't even know. They'd sold a caravan across the road and felt that the Lord wanted them to give us half. They knew of us through someone else. They didn't know us personally. What a wonderful blessing to know that the father knew what we needed and he cared and he wanted us to know that he loved us and he knew the struggle we were going through many people i'm sure can share wonderful stories of god's provision this call to seek first the kingdom of god is not just for those who are in full-time ministry it's for every disciple of christ every one of us that we might prove his goodness and faithfulness. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. (laughs) Let tomorrow worry about itself. We're creatures. He's the creator. We're not made to, to work it all out and to solve tomorrow's problems or the next day's. My mother said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. (laughs) There's enough trouble today to bring to the Father and trust him with. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, your word through your Son comes to our hearts. It's all to the good point and a good purpose that we might know the joy of being children who, are, who know the love of their Father and who trust his provision at every point and whose hearts are enlarged by the great longing for the kingdom of God. Even now this kingdom is present in the sense that we know the joy and the peace and the righteousness of it breaking into our hearts. Enlighten our hearts, Father, that we might see the fullness of it coming in all the glory of your Son and all the glory that he will share with us. And keep us, Father, in the battle, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.